So today is what we call Renewal Sunday. Um, our vision, uh, uh, the practical way in which we do things, is to try and make sense of life, to do everything we can to live truthful and honest and relevant lives, and to recognize that we do that together. We need each other. And that we also uh, particularly uh, need to share the love of Jesus, and that we are here to do that. That's the kind of distinctive way that we look at that. We're going to show you a little video that, uh, not, it's kind of a video, some images, some thoughts kind of around our vision, kind of around our strategy, kind of around what we do. Then I want to share a particular word that uh, someone has shared with me, uh, and then I want to remind ourselves of a few things and the commitments that we invite each other to make. If you're part of another church, the commitments that might help you in that church. So let me just put something on for you, and I'll dim the lights again. Flying from the sun Hey, I hardly know you Can I confess I feel your heart Beating in my chest If you come with me Tonight is gonna be the one Cause you fail And no fear for the fight You pull hope from defeat In the night there's an image of you in my mind Could be mad, but you might just be right
I want to uh, share a little scripture with you that was... Uh, so I was given a letter on New Year's Eve and as we were praying and didn't open it until the Sunday after, so the 3rd of January. And uh, had contained with it a, a scripture and uh, a sense perhaps of what God might be saying. And I'm so grateful that I, I, I get a number of these kind of things through the year and that they're really, really helpful to me. I'm a person of wobbly knees. Uh, there are times when I uh, struggle. There are times when I'm not as confident as I look. And so when folks give me things that are encouraging, I find it very, very helpful, and particularly when they speak into things that I'm asking God about. But I want to tell you the story of this particular passage because uh, it starts off with a, a concept and a, and a thought that's really quite painful and difficult. And I want to share it with you, and I want to explain to you why uh, when I read this, I... Uh, thought this is really quite significant for me and it may be that it's significant for others here it may be significant uh, for the church and I shared this this morning and uh, folks uh, said some very uh, kind things uh, I'm going to be honest which is not uh, I'm not going to say I'm not always honest I am always honest, but I don't always tell people everything that's going on. But I want to tell you a little story, uh, but not that you need to tell, you, need, you don't need to respond to that. It's more about whether you identify with feeling an imposter. It's a great concept, imposter syndrome, where you just feel that you're not good enough. And that's something that I, in common with lots of us, struggle with. And one of the things that I go to every two or three years and went to just before the pandemic um, is a conference of the leaders of the largest Baptist churches in Britain, in, uh, in England and Wales, rather. Um, and uh, because we're one of the largest Baptist churches in England and Wales. But I've, I absolutely find it a very difficult thing to go to. I go out of... Uh, a sense that it's the right thing for me to do, but I can't cope with it every year, so I skip it and go every two or three years. Uh, the reason I find it so difficult is that it, it's, it, there's a lot of very powerful men who are very successful, who are very uh, charismatic with a small c, big personalities. They're people that fill the room. They're people everybody wants to be in their church. They're people that are very confident. They're everything that I don't feel that I am. And inevitably what happens in these times is that people share their success. They tell us how brilliant things are. They tell us how the, their church has grown. Uh, and particularly the people that are now invited to this meeting that didn't used to, because they've grown their church. And it's now, they're now excited to be uh, in, in this group of, of the largest churches. And, and, and it, it, it makes me feel rubbish. <laughs> it makes me feel rubbish because uh, this, is, this church is, in, to my mind, it's the best church. It's a fantastic church. It's, that's why I've stayed around so long, like a bad smell. I've lingered in the room uh, because just, there's no other church like it. This is, the, this is the best church. But the reality and the truth of it is that this is, was a great church before I 
came to lead it, and it will be a great church after I've came to, come to lead it because of the people. Uh, I didn't grow this church. This church isn't big, big, anything to do with me. It was big because other people in the past have, have done significant ministries, and Alan and Lynn and, and others. And most of the time, I'm fine with that. But sometimes I feel an imposter. Sometimes I feel uh, that I, I shouldn't be, certainly it shouldn't be in the room with all these big characters and these successful ministers who everybody wants to, to be in the room with, who, who are confident and outgoing and there's me a little introvert. And I've, the, the, one or two of the folks who, who run that conference that they encourage me to come because, and I'm happy with this role, but um, it also just illustrates the point. They say, uh, you know, it's good to have you, Donald, because you're the only one that talks about it going wrong. And you're the one everybody can, can, everybody sidles up to me quietly and says, I'm really struggling. But, and they kind of feel, well, he's the one that looks like he's struggling, so we can tell him, because everybody else looks like they're completely successful. And one of the things that's been a tremendous joy to me over the last two or three years is I have an increasing uh, opportunity to mentor a number of other ministers uh, from outside of our church and uh, folks who, who phone me up and we talk and, and we, because I'm not successful. <laughs> that's my gift. I'm not successful. Um, and... Uh, on this particular time in November 2019, I was really struggling with this, really struggling with this, and uh, just, it doesn't happen all the time, but I'm sure for many of us it happens, where you just feel overwhelmed with negative thoughts about yourself. And uh, the guy who's giving the talk said, I'm gonna, I just need to stop what I'm going to do, and I'm going to share a scripture that may be for one or two people. And he read a verse from Isaiah, which uh, was a verse that the, the letter I got on New Year's Eve began with, and it's, it's a very painful verse because it talks about feeling barren. It talks about feeling desolate, and it likens that to one of the most painful experiences that human beings have that I know a number in our church experience daily. Because it likens this desolation to uh, not having children. And I appreciate this is a painful thing for lots of people. But it is a verse that speaks to Israel and says, these words of encouragement. Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song, shout for joy, you who are never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. And what I felt God was saying is that I haven't grown a church. I haven't struggled with a small church that became a large church. I just was standing in the wrong place when somebody asked me to lead this church, and here I was. Uh, and it feels like I've never born a child spiritually. And that's, and as I, I, and as he read that, I suddenly felt God saying, you know, I understand exactly what you feel, and it's okay. It's okay. And that's sometimes why I really love the really painful parts of the Bible, because they make me feel 
It's okay to be me. It's okay to struggle with stuff. And then, in, 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 so this letter begins with, the, with these verses. Uh, and then it, and it gets, says, says, says the next verse. Now, I'm a stupid person. Uh, as, as, you know, do you ever know about two verses and don't realize that they come one after each other? Even though you've read them loads of times, you don't realize that they're next to each other. Because the next verse, verse 2, is a verse that was significant to the church before I took over, it was significant to Alan and Lynn. It was significant to the leadership at the time in the 1990s. And it's this verse. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your, ter- your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. And there's this idea of you expand even though you don't feel there's anything to fill it. And... Sometimes over the last few months, I have felt, you know, we talked in our church meeting, we talked about increasing what we want to do in the coming year, that we would need to increase our giving by 10%. We want to go further than where we are as a church, and yet you, there's lots of folks who aren't feeling able to come to church. So how do you... How do you do that? And a, a, a number of prophetic words. I remember we were praying out there before a service and somebody shared something that was incredibly powerful for me as I was contemplating this. Do I lead us out into something that we can't see at the moment? And then, so this passage talks about that, that, that we're to be led and to do something that you can't actually see. And when you link that to the verse that I'd had before the pandemic, which was kind of like stopping me quitting, um, yeah, so this, this, is, this is kind of significant to me. And it goes on, you will spread out to the right and to the left, and your descendants will dispossess the nations and settle in their desolate cities. I need to join you up another dot. Again, just before Christmas, somebody in the church um, spoke to me because they'd had a picture in a prayer meeting of a jet of something like oil that was firing down on the church and it was hitting the church like batter hits a frying pan when you make pancakes and it spreads out very thin but very strong. And they felt God was saying he was pouring out his spirit on our church but it was going to spread out beyond the church and that we were to be a people who send. And I found that scary But this has the same idea, you will spread out. And there are some things that we will share in the coming months that I think will fit with that idea that we're talking about as a leadership at the moment that are about spreading out. And it may look like we're spreading too thin, but it's strong. So all of this is going, okay, this is a really significant passage coming to my mind that I hadn't connected all the dots with before. Do not be afraid. You will not to be put to shame. And uh, you may remember questions of life in the midst of the pandemic. And Kath asked me, I think, what I was afraid of. Uh, and I, <laughs> the trouble with questions of life, when Kath asked me questions, I say things that I wouldn't normally say. And uh, I think I said the truth. I did say the truth, but it's not what I would normally say. I'm most afraid of getting it wrong, of letting everybody down. And this passage speaks to me of that, that you will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. And I'm sharing this partly because the person who gave me the letter and the words that come after this felt that it was for the church and not just for me. But also, 
as I felt this morning, and I think maybe tonight, that there may be other people who feel that sense of imposter, who feel that everybody's going to discover that we're not very good and that we'll be humiliated. And that maybe as you go into this coming year, there is a sense of moving out and stretching beyond what you can see, and it's scary. These are the words that accompanied the letter. Are you feeling frustration or wondering how successful or valuable all your efforts and hard work has been over the last two years? Bang, yes, I am. And I know lots of us. Where, what have we done with the last two years? And there's so many people saying to me, I just feel older. Are we making much difference in society or the town or the neighborhood around us? And maybe you look at the church and you think, oh, what are we doing? What are, we, are we making any difference? I know lots of folks who have responsibility and activities and lead things, youth work or work amongst the seniors or the community, and we feel this, you know, it's just hard. It's hard. And they write, these questions came to me and I read Isaiah 54. And while we feel perhaps barren, not seeing many come into the kingdom, even seeing people not returning, or worrying about finances of the future, God is saying, break forth with joyful shouting and rejoice the promises that the harvest will be abundant. And we can be confident that God will give an abundant harvest of souls. Our part is to extend, stretch out, to make the stakes firm. We are not to be fearful or feel humiliated or ashamed. Our descendants will take possessions of the nations. And then a backup, they say. And, then, and uh, this story is one that, again, we really prayed into as a leadership maybe about five or six years ago, and it was really significant where Jesus asks Peter and Andrew to go out and fish again. And they say, we've just done it and nothing's happened. And he says, do it. Peter and Andrew have been fishing all night and caught nothing, and Jesus told them to put out in deep water and cast their nets. And Peter, an experienced fisherman, explained why they had worked all night, caught nothing. But because Jesus commanded or suggested it, he would do so, even though he thought a catch unlikely. And there are times when I think, is, you, know, is, is it, you know, is it worth us keeping going with some of the things that we try to do to reach people? And we had this word a few years ago, just put the, keep putting the nets out, just keep putting the nets out. And it's the same idea, you just keep expanding the tent, you just put the pegs out. And uh, it's like that film uh, with the baseball thingy, what's that film called, when he says, if you build it, they will come. And, and that's been coming in lots of different ways to me, that if that we are not... We're not to hold back because we don't always see what God is doing. We're to do it anyway. And this is the last part. The last two years have been hard work, a time of fear and uncertainty. But I sense maybe in 2022 is a year for us to cast our nets again, to extend our boundaries and place our stakes. We do that and God will give the harvest. Now, you may feel that's a word individually, you may feel that is a word for us as a church. I want to invite you to pray into this. Let me pray for a moment. Lord Jesus, thank you for the sense that you do not want to bring fear or disgrace. For those who feel unfruitful, your desire is that we would see fruit. Lord, we hear these words, we ask that you would bring your harvest. We will put the nets out again. Lord, will you fill them?
We ask it for your glory. Here in this building and in every church in this town and in this city, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I, in my position, I'm tremendously grateful. People send encouragement. That's part of what we want to do that thing with the pictures. Just send stuff in that you just prompt it's your imagination, you feel, and we find that God encourages and speaks through these things. You will know that one of the things that I often say, uh, a famous quote, can't remember whoever said it first, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. That's what vision is about. We always get distracted. There's always mission drift. There's always a danger. Well, this seems a good idea, and you do this, and you do this, and you do this, and you're miles from the main thing you're meant to do. So it leads us to the question, what is the main thing? And the main thing for any church, I believe, as I said a few moments ago, is to make disciples. This isn't specific to Sutton Coldfield Baptist Church. If you're visiting from another church, I want to suggest to you the purpose of your church is to make disciples. Jesus says, go into the world as he sends to heaven, he sends out the disciples, and their task is to make other disciples. And uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I went. I was very arrogant as a young uh, Christian worker, and then I went through a period of being very sensible and sensitive. And I'm discovering that as I'm getting older, I'm becoming more blunt again. <laughs> we have to make disciples, but it's scary, and 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 we may ask ourselves, well, why do we make disciples? And we've said this before in some of our services, so I'm repeating myself, but I'm repeating myself because I believe in it passionately, and it's important for us to grab hold of. We make disciples because Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. That's why he said he was here. That is the heart of God, and that it breaks God's heart to see a world that is lost, to see people that do not understand the purpose that he gave them life for, that they do not live the way they intended for them to live. They don't use their gifts and their resources in the way that God created them to be. They're not the people that God wanted. And they are lost not only now, but they will be lost for eternity. And the other reason why God wants us to make disciples is because when we are being a disciple of Jesus, when we are living as he intended us to be, that is the greatest way to live life. It's not easy, but it is the most fulfilling. And when we do that, we create the only hope for a better world. Politics, money, all of these things cannot transform the world like the transformation of the heart that Christ brings. And I was thinking of uh, why... Uh, anyone should be a disciple. And uh, uh, I thought about the past, the present, and the future. And this may be a little helpful thing for you to hold on to. I think there are five things that we have discovered in Jesus that are so significant for the world that relate to the past, the present, and the future. And the past is that we have discovered that Jesus can bring forgiveness for the past, that he can wash away the hurt, the, the, the shame, the regrets, the mess, the pain, the guilt, and that through his work on the cross, he brings cleansing, and that is the most precious and powerful gift. And that leads us into the second wonderful thing about being a disciple, is we discover that we are worth the blood of Jesus, that we are precious and loved and valuable, that he loves us with a love that is beyond comparison, beyond understanding, higher and wider and deeper than anything can ever understand. And the second thing about the present is that he then gives us a purpose and a meaning to breathe. We know what life's about. Our life is to live out that love, to love and follow the command to love, to love our neighbor and to use the gifts that he's given us. That's our purpose. We're not here to get wealthy. We're not here uh, to, to find different activities to 
distract us from the boredom and the emptiness of life. We are here to bless and to be the people of God. And that leads us into the future, that there are two things about the future. Is firstly, is that as a disciple, we are offered the wisdom to help us through, to make the right choices, to be guided by his word, both in scripture, but also his spirit speaking within us, now indwelling, prompting us, this is the way to walk in it. And ultimately, we have a future hope where all the tears and all the pain and all the injustice and all the suffering of this world will be gone and there there will be joy forever where there's no more sadness, no more decay, no more death, no more illness. So it's a good idea to be a disciple. It's a great thing to be a disciple. And we are commanded to go and make disciples, but we ask the big question, how do we do that? Because it feels very daunting. And at its simplest level, I think, as we read Jesus, we discover that he simply tells us to love like him. A new command I give you. I, don't, I think we, and I know I've said this a number of times, I'm saying it all the time at the moment because I just feel it's on my heart to say to our church again and again and again at the moment. He has commanded us to love. It's one of the most radical things in the Bible because apparently there, a lot of people think there are only 10 commandments. You probably think there are only 10 commandments. One of the things that Jesus said that so distressed people is he said, I've got a new command. You know, what Moses told you, fine, I've got a new one. What Moses told you God had said, I've got a new one because I'm God. And this is the command to love one another. And so it's absolutely critical that we love. And that's how we make disciples. And we do that by working together in teamwork, where each one of us is a part of the body. So when we talk about how do we make disciples, it's not an individual thing that you as a person, as a solo flyer on your own need to do. It's something that we do together. It has to be. And we have seven commitments that we've outlined. They're on that video. I'm going to go through them now. I'm going to stack the front with the talk about the front first two or three more than the others. And then we're going to recommit ourselves to those seven commitments. When we do these things, we can make disciples together, not on our own, together. And these are not beyond possibility, these seven things, although the first one is perhaps the hardest. We invite you to 24-7 authentic living. We invite you to live like Jesus as much as you are able, knowing that we get it wrong, we mess up, and there's stuff that we, which is why we've got forgiveness But the most important thing you can do to help other people become a disciple is live it out. The most common reason why people do not want to know anything about Christianity is the behavior of Christians. The best way to advertise is simply to be unusually good. So what I did... Uh, just to, to, to tease out what that might look like, I, I love top tens, I love lists of things, and uh, I'm forever playing around with iTunes and making my top ten different things on, on my uh, music. Uh, I, did, uh, I had a go at doing the top ten things that Christians do that are unchristlike from 2021. Now, I don't mean anyone individually in this room. I mean the way I hear the world complain and the way I see in the news and the way I see in the media 
And if I asked you to give your top 10 things that Christians do that put people off Jesus, I want, well, we could pause for a moment. Uh, if we were a smaller group, I'd get you to talk to the person next to you. If we had time, I'd set up Menti and get you to send some things in, and we'd, but we're not. All, so all you've got to do is think for a moment, and I'm going to give you my top 10, which I reserve the right to be completely wrong and reserve the right to change my mind on tomorrow. But right now, this is my top 10. See what resonates. Some of it's going to feel uncomfortable. In at number 10, uh, what was the name of that DJ that used to do the top 40 on Radio 1 when I was a kid? Alan Freeman. Freeman. Yeah, that's one. (laughs) Sorry, kids. (laughs) Sorry, folks. Alan Freeman. Okay, here is top 10. In at number 10. Greed. Christians that have more than they need damage the planet because they consume more than is necessary. Chuck loads of food away because they don't need it. Living alongside people who are far less. And people say, what's your God? Money, stuff, the house, the car, the phone, the new phone. So that's my number, number 10 is greed, is just putting stuff before people. In at number nine uh, is irrelevance. Speaking language that nobody understands, getting hot under the collar about things that nobody else is bothered about, talking words that just are seemingly meaningless, cliche jargon. That's always bothered me, so that isn't in at number, number, that isn't in at top 10, that's always been there for me. That's why our mission statement is to make sense of life. Um, I was talking with my son on the way back from uh, the football yesterday, and we were talking about uh, some of the, the uh, <laughs> talking about my behaviour as a young person at uh, Bible College and how irritated I was by Christian jargon, and I'm still irritated by it. We need to speak English. If people don't understand what we're saying, we've got to change what we say. In it, number eight is uh, presenting an image on social media. And to be absolutely fair on this one, this isn't just Christians, this is every person. What I mean by this is that we present on social media what we want people to think we are. And we present the best meal that we've cooked, the best behavior of our children, the happiest life that we've got, the, 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 the successful things that we do. And everybody else is looking at it. A few people who care for us and love us look at it and go, oh, that's great, I'm pleased for you. Um, and the rest of us are looking at it and going, oh, it's all right for them. Oh, I wish I could be like that. And we stoke and feed envy, but more seriously, we stoke and feed low self-esteem. And we create, the, 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 um, social media has creating an epidemic of people feeling rubbish about themselves because everybody else is brilliant online. And we need to be different. We need to present the reality. We need to present the things that are difficult. We need to present the things that are painful and how God has helped us in the dark places not just the good stuff. And so that's my number eight. Number seven is unwelcoming cliqueiness. This is where Christians just come to church to talk to their mates, and they will not talk to anybody that they've never met before. Please, before you go home tonight, chat to somebody you don't know. There's lots of people here who don't know anybody. There's lots of people I don't know. That's 
we've always got visitors and guests. Don't worry, you may think you're the only person here that nobody else knows. I know there's quite a few people here that nobody else knows because that's what happens in our church every week. One of the most damaging things is when people feel I'm on the outside, I don't belong, I can't be part of this because everybody else knows each other. And we talked in our call to prayer, part of, the part of that first video was this thing about the five Bs and about helping people to feel that they're part of something and that's, that they belong. That's crucial for us. So unwelcoming clique is number seven. Number six is passing on unverified news. I am going to say something political that I don't... I avoid saying, I'm going to say something that I've come to believe is really important. We've all been distressed at the different things that people were posting and saying, and what is the truth? You know, in Britain, we have something that is incredibly precious that is under serious attack. We have an institution that by statute and law has to be neutral, has to speak the truth, has to present both sides. And if it doesn't, it's publicized, and when it gets it wrong, it's clear, and the authority, the judges, or whatever, it will come out, because by law, they have to do it. It's called the BBC. Nothing else on the internet has to stick to the same standards of truthfulness. That is why both the left and the right would like us to get annoyed with it. You know it's telling the truth when both sides think the other, this bias to the other side. I think it's under serious threat in the coming years. Every other nation with a dictator, with oppressive leadership, envy the BBC. Please don't pass on stuff that is unverified. And if you don't know how to verify it, check it out on things like the BBC. Because there are a load of experts out there who do not have to prove that they are experts at all. And nobody has to, to check that they're saying the right thing or the wrong thing. And it's catastrophic. We see it, I think, in America. And we see it in our own nation. Please do not pass on stuff that you don't know is factually correct. That's my controversial thing. I think the rest is less controversial, perhaps more painful. Uh, in at five, giving up on people where Christians say, yes, I'm your friend, yes, I'll pray for you, but the prayer doesn't get answered and we walk away. We don't phone up. We don't stay for 10 years. We don't stay because it's got too difficult. Number four, we judge without mercy. We throw stones at people who have different lifestyles or beliefs or religions or ways of understanding the Bible to us and we throw stones. And we're not the people who are there at the end when Jesus says who is without sin, throw a stone because we've had to leave. But we need to be the people who are there with compassion and we model mercy. We have to model mercy and grace. The fundamental of, of following Jesus is that he wishes to forgive sin. And Christianity has got cut, has played the game that the media wants us to play, which is be judgmental and reject people. 
who actually are lost and are hurting and need, they're not changed by our rejection. If people were changed by rejection, Jesus would have thrown the first stone. She was changed because he didn't reject her. And that's awkward because religious people say, are you a friend of sinners? I'm a friend of sinners. We have to be people who don't judge. But with mercy, we are involved with people who we don't think it's the right way to live life. And it's awkward and it's embarrassing. Maybe some people will worry that we're condoning it. I know that's a sermon I've preached a thousand times. Number three is that we are harsh. And we use language that is painful to other people. Number two is that we come across as arrogant. That we come across as not listening, not learning, not growing. And finally, that we disagree angrily that we take to Twitter, that we take to commenting, that we argue with people. So, the world doesn't read the Bible, they read Christians. So we're inviting each other to live authentically. What does that look like? Uh, The opposite of those things, 10 things, to be generous people, to be people who share, to be people who give, that we give 5, 10, 15% of our income because we want to support people in need. We want to be people who listen, who draw alongside other people, and we seek to understand and hear their concerns and their hurts. We want to be people of truthfulness, who don't boast about what we do. Uh, Jesus says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. If you're doing something good, you don't have to brag it. You don't boast about it. You just get on and do it. You don't post it on social media, look at the good I've done. You just do it. Anonymity is a great thing. Let no one know the good that you do. Don't take a photograph of it. Number seven is we welcome. Number six is that we seek the truth and uphold it, and we don't pass on things that are not certainly true. Number five is that we're faithful, and we stay with people in the midst of pain, in the midst of difficulty. Number four is that we are merciful and gracious. Number three is that we are gentle. Number two is that we are humble. And we admit our mistakes and we're honest about who we are. And number one is that we make peace rather than argue. Blessed are the peacemakers. So our first commitment was to live authentically at 24-7. We take the most time over this. Uh, A little phrase uh, from Jesus. Uh, He says, uh, he crosses out these ideas. I don't need to make more money. Uh, I don't need more busyness. I don't need more followers. I don't need to be happier. I don't need to get things done. I don't need to be the best. I don't need to be perfect. I just need Jesus. More Jesus, less drama, less selfishness, less complaining, less bitterness, less gossip, less pride, less anger, less me, more Jesus. These are all things that come on the internet. You'll be familiar with some of these, I guess. So there we go. That's number one. That's number one of our seven things. I'm going to invite you to renew in a moment or two. Uh, the other six, very briefly, is invite you to pray. Uh, there's a little quote here. We do not go to prayer that we may use God, but that we, He may use us. Will you pray? Will you pray? If you can 
Just pray for the church. Will you pray for the leaders? Will you pray for the staff? Will you pray for different activities? Will you pray for the things that are going on? Will you pray into that passage from Isaiah 54? Will you look over it and pray? Will you just pray? If we, we can only make disciples when we pray. So pray that we will enlarge the tent. Pray for financial provision. Pray for new life to be expressed in baptism. Pray for us as we seek over the coming year to, uh, if it's possible, uh, it's not possible to replace Kath, but to do something new in mission and outreach. Will you pray for us in that? Will you pray for us to send out and to support other churches? The third commitment is to care for some people around us for us to look after other people. Three or four people that you just say, I'm going to care for these people. I'm not going to give up on them. I'm going to be there for them. Maybe the people you sit near, maybe the people that brought you to church, maybe the people you've brought to church, maybe neighbours, maybe people in a small group, maybe just people that you know. Will you care for them? Too often we underestimate the power of touch, a smile, a kind word, a listening ear, an honest compliment, or the smallest act of caring, all of which have the potential to turn a life around. If we care, if we're all caring for three or four people, we transform the community. The old model of church, which you'll know that I fundamentally reject because I think it's broken, it doesn't work. The old model of church is that everybody sits there and the minister cares for us all. Uh, We've already discovered that I'm pretty poor at that anyway. I go to meetings of people that can do that and I can't do it. I can't care for everybody, but... We can all care for each other. That's the model and the mission of our church, to do things together. But the problem is that our community does things in different ways. And we need to be people who care. I need, if you need help at all, at all just let me know, says Dilbert. Uh, he says, I need a lot of help. Be here at 8 a.m. and plan to work late. And Dilbert says, this is awkward. I didn't mean a word of what I said. We want to be people who are faithful in our care for other people. What do we do when our hearts hurt, asked the boy. We wrap them with friendship, share tears, and in time they will make, I can't believe that says, make hopeful and be made hopeful and happy again. Will you care for someone? We invite you to renew that commitment to care, to pray for them, to... um, Uh, encourage them to help them and to check that they are okay. For someone you haven't seen for a while, will you get in touch, please? What else then? Number four is to give, uh, to release those. You may not be able to do stuff during the week. You may not be able to give the hours that some of the tasks that we do require, but you can give to enable us to do that. It may be that God has called you very strongly to your place of work, and that is your fundamental commitment to God. That's brilliant. We want you to do that. If you can give to support what we do here. We said that we need folks, we need to increase our giving by around 10%. We're incredibly grateful that it looks like the end of last year we're going to have made the money that we needed to make, and we're going to be able to bring some into this coming year, which is great, but we need to expand the tent, and that's the sense that I've battled with, and I do feel it's right to continue to do that. If you haven't set up a standing order to the church and you're committed to this church, please do consider doing that. If you set up a standing order in the past and, and, and it's perhaps a year or two old and you can increase it, that would be great. If you want to make a one-off gift, there are other ways that you can do that. 
Can I thank you for your support for our food bank? That's a little chart of the way it's grown in the 11 years that we've been doing it. Last year, uh, we gave out 6,000 bags of food to 900 different, nearly 1,000 different individuals, adults, and nearly five, over 500 different children. A colossal amount of food. Um, if you can give to our food bank, that's brilliant. If you gave to our uh, Christmas Day appeal for open doors, of work of open doors, thank you so much. We've given uh, around about £1,000. That's going to be open for another week if you wish to do that. 10,000, what did I say? Beg your pardon, 10,000. I'm just checking that you're listening. Great, thank you. I'm flying through this. Uh, when are we at? Six, five, whatever. The next one is to attend to encourage. You're doing that. Please, please, please do not underestimate or undervalue the, the preciousness of you simply being in the room. It's just so rubbish if it's just me on my own. We tried that for a year uh, with just three or four of us in the room. It doesn't work as well as this does. This is so much better. If you can come, if you can watch things online, if you can join in with Menti, if you can send an email to do with the pictures, if you can just participate, if you can sing, all of that makes us create something that can create disciples. So. You think, I can't do anything. You can be here. Uh, that's brilliant. Can you invite uh, someone, whether it's to uh, some of our activities? We will be uh, doing this new course for three weeks called Hope Explored. Hopefully you've seen about that starting on Wednesday. You can still book in if you know someone who really needs to explore what the Bible says about hope. Three weeks with DVDs and a little bit of discussion that will lead us then into the, starting a new Alpha course together. Can you invite someone that it seems the right thing for them? Can you invite someone to uh, a cafe church tomorrow night? Can you invite someone who to watch it with you, to come here or to watch it online as we think about going forward, as we give, bring words of encouragement? Can you post and share uh, things that we do online? That's a little bit of an unpleasant photograph, but if you can do that, that would be great. Not that particular one, maybe, but anything you've just seen. We started out, uh, when we started the, the pandemic, we started on YouTube, and uh, I said, if we can get 100 subscribers, that would be great. Once you get to 100 subscribers, you have a little bit more security. You don't get bumped off as much on YouTube. Uh, we got 100 within the first week subscribers. And uh, it's gone up. Tremendous videos that worship group have made. Fantastic. I looked uh, this morning. I haven't looked this afternoon, but looked this morning. And we have 985 subscribers. Now, if we get to 1,000 subscribers, we go into a different category in the way YouTube treat us. So if you haven't yet subscribed, it would be great if you could subscribe. If we just push over to 1,001, uh, we have a different, we get bumped up the way YouTube works, and that would be a good thing. Uh, so if you know someone who watches what we do, uh, don't fake it. It's got to be people who do watch what we do. Uh, then subscribe. If we get to 1,000, that would be Fantastic. And lastly, we serve where we can. If you go on our website and uh, you look for something called Join the Team, you'll see a list of ways of getting involved. It's, lots of you are not able to serve. Family commitments, health issues, your work, 
All you can do is the other six. Great, do the other six. But if those who can, if you can volunteer for something, the join the team stuff will tell you how to do that. Over the last two years, we've lost lots of volunteers who just felt it wasn't right for them to continue. So there's lots of vacancies, lots of things you can do. I'm going to ask Gaynor to rejoin me. I have gone on way too long. There's a little video of um, uh, the church, which I'm going to put into, I'm going to talk with Richard, and we'll put that into the thing that you can see online. Uh, so I'm not going to show you that. I'm going to flick through it. There we go. How do we make disciples? I want to invite you to join with me in this prayer. And then Gaynor's going to lead us in uh, worship together. And there'll be a moment, perhaps, where we might want to speak out a prayer. Would you stand with me? Perhaps you're a part of another church. That's fine. Use these words for your church. But if you feel committed to this church, I want to invite you to say these things together. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we renew our commitment to your church. We will live authentically, pray persistently, care consistently, give graciously, attend regularly, Invite sensitively and serve where you're able for your glory. Amen.
Cause we were the best 